So I guess we should get this started. It's okay. the Frogs War podcast. It is. We're back. We're back. Want to know? Another week. Woo! There it is. Go frogs. Go frogs. It is Wednesday, September fifth, the year of our Lord, twenty eighteen. I feel like September fifth is kind of an important day. I don't. I can't really place it. I can't either. Yeah. Oh wait, that's right. It's Melissa's birthday today. Yeah. Thank you for leaving the number out. Oh wow! There we go. I'm glad you know. I'm glad that stopped right there. It's good. It's good. We, we are live. The patrons to stay at Dutch's. We are live at Dutch's locker room. But uh, yeah, if the Frogs War fan crowd keeps uh, singing, we may not be invited back again. But yes, it's Melissa's birthday. Melissa, how old are you today? Uh, I am old enough not to tell you. Twenty nine. Yeah, Always. Something like that. We'll stick with twenty nine. Forever twenty nine. Yeah, forever twenty nine. Forever twenty nine. That Wait. should be the real name of that. Store. It really should, because those are right? the people trying to shop Because think there. about, it, like, actually being 21 forever would be awful. Yeah. At 29, you're like, eh. You got a job, job, usually. Maybe you're making some money. You know. Or maybe you're an educator. <laughs> it's fine. Or a minister. Either I don't one. know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 21. We're going we're gonna to be 21 forever. All right. Uh, but yeah, this is the Frogs at War podcast here at Dutch's Locker Room every first Wednesday of the month, 730 here to talk TCU football. TCU plays SMU this week. It's rivalry week, Melissa. It is kind of. I mean, yeah. can you call it much of a rivalry at this point? Or Battle for the Iron Skull. Yeah, I think you can. I think you can because I think it stops being a rivalry when you stop getting the other team's best shot. That's and fair. you know that TCU is going to get SMU's best shot on Friday night. I think that's definitely true. I mean, this game means a lot more to SMU than it does TCU, and it has for most of the last decade. But there's always that year where the Ponies rise up, beat a TCU team they wouldn't. I still have nightmares about Brandon Carter, that ball bouncing underneath his arms on fourth down. Right after we beat Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And, and there have been more, you know, more than one of those where TCU looks like they're starting off. That was, I'm actually thinking of the one in 2009. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, the right before that the kind of inspired the big run where TCU went to the Fiesta Bowl and the Rose Bowl and all of that. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely a game that matters more to SMU than it does TCU. But that said, I think Gary Patterson has done a really good job of instilling the importance of this game into his players, making it about the state of Texas, about owning North Texas about owning the recruiting grounds and, and thus putting value into a game where SMU hasn't been competitive for most of the last decade. That's true. And did you know that if TCU wins on Friday, that will be seven wins in a row, and that will be the longest winning streak for TCU in this wow. rivalry? It's the 98th matchup of the Iron Skillet. They're on the docket again for 2019, which will be the 99th. But there is no scheduled TCU-SMU game beyond that. So who knows if we'll ever get to game 100. Hopefully. Patterson, yeah. Patterson in his press conference on Tuesday was pretty adamant that he wants this rivalry to continue for a multitude of reasons. He said, uh, you know, first of all, he likes that it's, a, it's an easy travel game when the game is at SMU. Talking about being, you know, 35, 40 minutes away from the other campus. Uh, he made the comment on Tuesday that it's like a home game wherever you play, which, yeah. whichever, home, whichever stadium yeah, you're in. Uh, and that's ex- especially true nowadays where TCU fans will show up to that game because it's a cheap ticket and SMU is terrible. Um, so it is mostly Frog fans in the stadium over there. That's not what he was inferring, but we can take that away yeah. from it. Well, and I think, too, that 
you know, people have been, you wrote a great article this afternoon talking about Patterson defending his, his scheduling and, and keeping SMU on it. And I think one of the things, too, that, that, you know, fans are calling to let's add UNT, let's add Rice, let's add UTEP. Well, playing SMU is no worse than playing any of those other teams. And yet you still have a meaningful game. You have a, a trophy. You're playing for something beyond just a win or a loss. Yeah, you really are. And and, and with, with SMU this year, it, it is even more risk than reward, I think, simply because we saw what SMU did in week one, getting just thumped by North Texas. Um, and so it, it would be exceptionally awful if TCU lost this game sure. on Friday. I don't see that happening. We'll get into that in a little bit. But, um, Melissa, it's, I, I've, I've always been curious what TCU fans actually think about the SMU rivalry. Because it wasn't always like Like, SMU was dominant in this rivalry for so long. And so I think especially younger TCU fans feel like it's not as much of a rivalry as it could be. Um, but since you're, uh, it's your birthday today and you're old. <laughs> Wait, yeah, okay, I knew that was Tell funny. me, what, from your perspective, what is the value in continuing to play SMU? Well, you know, the SMU rivalry still means a lot to me. Um, when I was a freshman at TCU, and this is going to call out my age, um, we were 1 in 10. My freshman year, the one game that we won was the was the last game of the season. Is that 1999. Okay, thanks. A little older than that. Um, it, it was the last game of the season. We went into it winless. Um, TCU ended up beating SMU. Took down the goalposts. We all rushed the field. Got pepper sprayed. Uh, that brought the end of uh, one era and the beginning of the Dennis Franchione era and kind of ushered in the new era of TCU football and, and, and an era that's been completely different than the previous 50 years were. And so um, I always have to have that memory as a TCU freshman of, of dodging the pepper spray and the police and all that good stuff. Um, but to know that, uh, that 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 one game and that one moment, that, that first win in what had been a long time kind of set TCU on a positive uh, a track, I mean, that, it does mean something to me. And being from California where, uh, you know, most people had never heard of SMU or TCU in the late 90s when I matriculated this direction, there wasn't any buildup of what that rivalry meant. But the minute I got to campus, it was it was it made immediately clear to us that we hated the ponies, and, and we still do to this day. I think, that's, I think that's accurate. I mean, as someone who admittedly has not seen kind of the down days for TCU in this rivalry. I still do like it. I think it's got value uh, for travel, also for recruiting in DFW. It's nice to just kind of continually assert yourself as the top sure. team in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, for those kids that want to stay close to home and play in a premier program. Uh, but also, realistically, like, it is the nice middle ground between playing big Power 5 teams every non-conference week versus playing an FCS school. Yeah. You know, and Patterson talked about this Tuesday in the press conference as well about how fans really always want big premier non-conference games every single week of non-conference because they don't like seeing schools beat up on small FCS teams. You know, even watching G5 games is boring sometimes. I mean, you look at what some schools did to uh, G5 schools over this past sure. weekend and, and what they, Oklahoma did to FAU right like yeah. you're, you're looking at some teams you're looking at some games where they're just out of out of hand by halftime just like it was with TCU Southern um, but realistically I think that it offers a nice alternative to a big power five game like the Ohio State sure. game that's coming up next week simply because it gives you an opportunity at least with most schools not really with TCU it gives you the opportunity to kind of just push your team 
you know that this team is probably capable of upsetting you on any sure. given Saturday. Uh, so there is a little or bit Friday. of risk there. Or Friday. Uh, and, and it's also, it's just not an FCS school. Sure. So you can still look back at your schedule and say, like, if it's not SMU, maybe it's Rice. Yeah. Or maybe it's even, like, Memphis or Tulsa or, you know, some other somewhat regional G5 school where you can say, look, our schedule holistically is a pretty good schedule because even out of conference, we weren't playing the best of competition, but we weren't playing scrubs. Well, and, and TCU is playing nine conference games, so they're playing eight Power 5 schools in Kansas every year. So it's not like they're shirking yeah. that that duty as well. Um, it, you know, and two other points that I would make to that too. Number one, I know everybody rails against playing FCS schools, but as somebody who coached NAIA basketball and our program survived by getting those couple thousand dollar paychecks to go and get beat up by, you know, the Division One school down the street, uh-huh. uh, you know, Southern needed that $500,000. Like yeah. that, that doesn't just pay their expenses. That helps bolster their program. They need that opportunity to, to get on national TV, you know, to get on, on or local, regional cable television or whatever it is. Uh, that's good for their program, too. And sure, they, they get beat and they, they take a whooping for it. But at the end of the day, like those paychecks really do help those programs survive. And number two, if you look at TCU, SMU this year specifically, you're getting a showcase opportunity on a Friday night. You're going against high school football, sure, in in North Texas, which is not a battle you're going to win. But you're getting to show off your offense, hopefully against a team where you can really kind of pour it on, show your offense, show your defense, get more eyeballs on your program. Maybe there's kids in California or kids in other areas that TCU is recruiting well that are paying attention, and you don't have a lot of competition with other college football games. This is true. Everything that you just said is correct. I am also admittedly in the middle of probably the dumbest fantasy football draft I've ever been a part of. Yeah, uh, so Jamie's not getting your full attention is, tonight, and now we know why. Uh, this is – all right, so let me tell you. This is a six-person league. I love that, you know, we're starting it's, off week two, and you're talking about your fantasy football team because people care a, about that. Just give me this soapbox for one moment. Okay. It's a six-person it. league. It's a 23-player roster for each – team with 15 starters, but we're not doing a time draft because apparently we couldn't figure out a time for six people to get together to do a regular fantasy football draft. So this draft started on Tuesday and it was an untimed draft and it's over email and it was, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Good stuff. So anyways, (laughs) so bad. Anyways, moving eh? right along. Let's talk a little bit about SMU because the Frogs are obviously playing the Ponies this week. Uh, SMU did lose in week one. They lost to North Texas. They didn't lose. They 46 to 23. This was a thumping, y'all. They lost. They were were losing 36 to nothing at the end of the third quarter. They they were outgained in this game like 529 to 256 yards. Mason Fine, who is, his name aptly describes the level of quarterback that he is. He is fine. Threw for 444 yards. 444 yards. He, Mason Foyne. 444 yards. He was 40 of 50. He completed 80% of his passes, three touchdowns. It's, they made dumb. him look like a Heisman candidate in that secondary. Uh, we've got a Q&A coming up with uh, Underdog Dynasty that will post on the site on Thursday uh, where I ask a little bit about SMU's secondary just to get some clarification on how bad are they really. Because in week one, they looked pretty bad. Now, they did score 23 points in the fourth quarter. A couple of big passing plays uh, from Ben Hicks uh, to James Prochet. Prochet. Prochet uh, had a big, big uh, reception in the fourth quarter for a touchdown. Uh, you know, they really racked up most of their yards in the fourth quarter. At one point before the fourth quarter, 
North Texas had gained, had achieved like 23 first downs to SMU's one. one. Yeah. Uh, this is how lopsided this game was. And so, yes, SMU made it close late, and Patterson did say on Tuesday that uh, they were focusing on beating the team that played in the last eight minutes of that game against North Texas simply because what are you going to do? What do you even do with that film for the first 32 minutes of that game or 40 minutes, however long football games are, 52 minutes? I don't know. know, I can't do math. The thing that the SMU does well and that Ben Hicks, the quarterback, does well is that he does a really good job of doing the throw it deep and hope for the best. And and we have seen that that has been TCU's Achilles heel over the last couple of years is that they are, and we saw it on Saturday again, they are vulnerable to the big play and the deep ball. And so Mm -hmm. if you think about, um, you know, the way SMU played a year ago, and mind you, that was a much different team, and they don't have Cortland Sutton anymore, but he was completely ineffective a year ago too because Anthony Tejada shut him down. Mm -hmm. Um, But but this is a team that can just kind of chuck it deep and hope for the best, and Ben Hicks has a big arm, and James Roche is is fast. So I I wouldn't say that they're going to come out and have one first down through three quarters like they did a week ago. Um, but at the same token, you have to look at that if you're a TCU player and think, you know, we're not giving this team 23 points. It's not going to happen. And if you're a TCU offensive player, then you've got to look at it and say, we should hang another 50-burger on them. Hopefully. Uh, you know, realistically, uh, at this point, TCU is a 21.5-point favorite going into this game. Uh, and if they don't achieve that, at, this is part of the risk, too. Like, you can still beat SMU and beat them pretty soundly, but... If you don't cover in this yeah. game, or if you look bad beating them by two touchdowns yep. in this game, you're still going to get dinged yep. if you're TCU. And so that's kind of problematic this year is that uh, SMU is just so bad that if they struggle even for a moment, they're going to get knocked for sure. it publicly. Yeah, absolutely. There's just not a loom- room for error when you're TCU and, and you're playing in a Big 12 conference that is going to be very, very top-heavy, but but very subpar below maybe those first four or five teams. Yeah, and and you know, and you'd mentioned it about how we're, TCU is susceptible to big plays, especially in the passing game. We saw that on Saturday against Southern, um, and this is another thing that GP talked about on Tuesday is preparation, execution, and in-game coaching. Uh, and so I asked him on Tuesday, I said, what are, you gonna, what are you doing in practice to kind of correct those breakdowns in the secondary that we saw Wait, on Saturday? You, you asked him that question? I asked him I, that you question. You are much braver than I am. And he I'm didn't impressed. yell at me. Wow. So it was awesome. So you had, uh, you had a better day than one of our friends did. <laughs> I sure did. Uh, but he talked, he talked about preparation, and he said, you know, we've run that play in practice, that exact wheel route, 17 times. And every time in practice, they covered it. But you have one breakdown in a game, and it's not about preparation at that point. It's about execution when it matters. And he gave another example, too, from 2014 from the Peach Bowl team. He said that they ran essentially that same wheel route uh, in practice five times. And the first three times, Derek Kendrick got burned. The fourth time, he got close to it. The fifth time, he tipped it. And then when Ole Miss ran that play in the Peach Bowl, he picked it off. So you see, you see two examples now of how Patterson gets his team ready to play. But realistically, it just comes down to player execution on the field. Well, and you, you look at Derek Kindred, who's going to be an NFL starting safety. Again, this year. Yeah. So, and, right. and that's where you do have to, that is where when people start talking about recruiting, having players that can play at an elite level, when they, you, it's one thing to know, like you said, it's one thing to know, but mm-hmm. it's another thing to be able to know and be able to make the play that needs to, to be made. To recognize it and to do it without really thinking too much about it. Because if you think, it's gotta if, be you, if you stand there and you're thinking about it's it, you're already late. beat. Yeah, it's You're already late. beat. Well, and that's where it's going to be interesting to see, you know, Julius Lewis especially 
a kid that really hasn't played much in the last three years. He just hasn't yeah. been on the field. He doesn't have the reps. He certainly has the ability and he has the athleticism and he has the speed, but he just hasn't gotten to play enough football because uh-huh. of injury issues. And so yeah. he's going to get better from week one to week two and week two to week three. And then hope, you hope by the time that week 10, 11, 12 roll around that he's really clicking. And I expect that he will be. I think so. I think so. We, uh, you know, this isn't just about SMU, though. And this isn't just about TCU executing. You know, TCU lost a, a, a depth guy against Southern, wow. Mike Onyemeyobi, a.k.a. Yo-Yo, uh, is out for the season because of a knee injury that he suffered on a punt return, yeah. I believe. He was blocking yeah. on a punt return. Uh, he, I think he was the guy that got called for that holding on that punt in the second half. Um, and that's when he hobbled off the field, no, putting no weight on his left leg. Uh, and realistically, you know, yes, he is a depth guy, but these are the kinds of injuries that can derail a season. Absolutely. Because all it's going to take at this point now is one more injury in the secondary that's relatively significant, and now you're talking about a, a serious lack of depth. Yeah. Uh, and when you've already seen, you know, Julius Lewis is still – struggling a little bit at corner maybe it's all mental at this point with recovering from his knee injury but uh, you know if if Noah Daniels has to be the guy and he goes down then who are we talking about playing cornerback Jeff Lamy and Keenan Reed and Tony James all you know athletic talented kids but you know realistically Yo-Yo was was on that depth chart for a reason well and and he had such an impressive camp too and he was a guy that I expected to see more and more as the season wore on and by the time we got to the Texas game to to, if not be a starter to be a guy that was getting significant reps and so it's super disappointing to see him lost in a a meaningless play at the back end of a meaningless game but at the end of the day you've got to play players yeah and and these young guys he redshirted last year was his first real game action he's got to get on the field and and it's unfortunate to lose him that way and we've seen this time and time again um it was uh um who was it against uh, a couple of years ago in the first game that we played? It was another FCS school, and his brother was an NFL player. Or? No. I'll, it'll come to me a little bit later. But same thing. Caught, covering on a punt return was expected to be the starting safety. You know, Tejada tore his ACL yeah. in the game against SMU a couple of years ago, too, on a kickoff. Yep. Uh, you know, we've had other guys. Yeah, I think I know who. It's uh, Iboye. Alex, Alex Iboye? Nope. Okay. He played for the Bengals. His brother did. Iloka. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenny Aloka. I knew yeah, he'd yeah, come yeah. back to me. Well, and, and that's one of the things that Patterson talked so much about when it came to the new redshirt year old. It's not just about being able to play these guys in four games. It's being able to use them in four games of special teams and take right. those reps away from his starters and away from his twos and threes. And so I think we'll see him use a lot of the true freshmen on coverage teams as soon as he believes that they're ready in mm-hmm. order to, to take those reps away from the guys that he expects to be playing meaningful minutes against Texas and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and West Virginia. And I think that that's the way you have to handle it, especially with the new fair catch rule where you anticipate there's going to be less active returns and you just need guys that can go down and, and do their job. Yeah, that's it. I, I like that you, that you bring up that fair catch rule, too, because SB Nation, Bill Connolly did some research and posted today, I think, or maybe yesterday, uh, an article where he kind of analyzes the, the rule changes that have taken place regarding the kickoff over the last several years and kind of takes a look at kickoffs holistically and asks the question, have these rules made a difference? And realistically, the answer is no. The difference in, in no percentage of kickoffs that are returned is minimal. The percentage of injuries that have been suffered on kickoffs is, a, there's like a minimal change. Uh, and so we see all of these changes being made, but teams keep finding ways to circumvent those rules sure. to put teams in bad field position. Sure. And so as long as there's still a kickoff, 
there are still going to be potential for injuries on those plays. And I hear what you're saying about getting young guys reps in games that are relatively meaningless and then having better guys play those spots on, on special teams in bigger games. But, you know, regardless of, regardless of whether you're a starter or third on the depth chart or a walk-on that barely, barely even gets to stand on the field, you need reps to stay yeah. good at things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so ultimately the question becomes, like, how do you find that balance of getting guys experience but also getting those guys who are going to be in those situations in big moments the, the reps that they need to make sure that they're, you know, that they're getting those, those reps too. And so realistically, if we're talking about kickoffs, you're just talking about, hey, let's just score a bunch and then we can, you know, like against Southern, TCU kicked it off nine times. Cool. You can rotate guys in, but what if it's a, you know, twenty-one to ten game yeah. on Friday at halftime, and and you're all of a sudden you're in a dogfight with SMU. Yeah, and you need guys that have done it before. Yeah. Yeah. So you do. It, it's a tough balance, and I think it was it was really interesting to watch Patterson talk about that. Um, it was something that he got asked at every press conference I attended, at every media availability was about the new kickoff rules, and and the thing he kept coming back to is, as a coach, how do you make the decision of who plays and when do they play, and how do you incorporate the red shirts into your coverage teams and how will these new kickoff rules impact your coverage teams. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's, it's good. It's going to be really fun to watch some of the elite coaches in the area, guys like Gary Patterson, um, you know, guys like, uh, trying to think of another elite coach, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher or, you know, whoever oh, is Jimbo else. Fisher elite now? You know, well, he, he, the dude's getting $75 million no matter what he does. So I'd have to say he's elite. Um, he's at least elitely paid. Jalen Ramsey doesn't think he's elite. No, that's true. Jalen does not. Um, but, but some of the best coaches in the game, Nick Saban, you know, Urban Meyer, if you want to, he's still a great coach, even if he's a horrible person. But, um, you know, to see how those guys handle this and how they figure out a way to maximize what they can do with using that role. So I'm excited to see what that looks like, you know, after week one versus after week 14. Yeah, I'm there with you. I mean, we've already seen Patterson start to make some adjustments, you know, with the, the squib kickoff. Sure. That put Southern in pretty bad field position. Uh, there was still uh, adjustments will continue to be made, um, but the AP poll came out yesterday. Yep. I guess uh, TCU stayed at number sixteen. Honestly, I feel like that's a pretty reasonable spot for them to be in right now. It, you don't it's learn much. Yeah. You don't learn much from yeah. a game against Southern. You don't. They, so there's really no reason for you to move up unless like six or seven teams ahead of you sure. lose. Uh, and in this instance, they got jumped by West Virginia, who put a hurt yeah. on Tennessee. And Tennessee's not good, but they're also not Southern, right? And yeah. so when you win 40-14 to 14 over a team like Tennessee with the SEC reputation that they've got, they've got Jeremy Pruitt now, they have a really good recruiting class coming in, like there's, some percep- there's a perception of momentum. And then West Virginia just goes out and absolutely dismantles them. Will Greer looks phenomenal. Yeah. David Sills looks phenomenal. Jennings looks great. Their defense Wait, is dominant. Who did you say there? David Sills. The kid who was offered as a quarterback <laughs> at the age of 13 by Island USC. Yeah. Yes, that one. The, yeah, very, the very same one, Melissa. The very same one. Now you've, do, now you've totally thrown me. Oh, this is what I was getting at. So West Virginia jumps... TCU, Michigan falls behind TCU, and so they stay at 16. Are you okay with West Virginia jumping TCU at this point? Well, first of all, let's get this out of the way. Preseason polls are stupid. They are are dumber than your fantasy football draft. Oh, yeah. Yes. 
You are you're using uh, it's it's fifty. Okay, oh, no. it's fifty. An off an offline six person email fantasy draft is arguably top three dumbest it's, things it's, I've ever been a part of. You know, it's it's six and one half dozen the other. But <laughs> um, you know, being able to to tell me that Washington is a number nine team after though it was a close game, they got absolutely handled by Auburn on both ends of the field. I thought, yeah. never felt like Auburn was not in control of that game. Are they still a top ten team? We're not going to know for another month. And so why do we have them ranked there? Is TCU the 16th best team in the country? Yes. After beating Southern? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, they are because they are, but I don't know anything about them. You know, West Virginia played a really bad Tennessee team, but it's a Tennessee team that's recruited well, that's well coached, that has full funding and a full staff. They are not a good football team. They are not going to do much in the SEC East. But at the end of the day, sure, are they – did they – did they get a more impressive win than TCU on Saturday? Yes. yes. Does that matter in the long term? No. But does it matter for this week? I suppose so. Well, it doesn't so matter. I have no problem with in that. In this sample, it doesn't matter because TCU and West Virginia are going to play. Yes. But when you start to talk about, oh, well, West Virginia beat Tennessee in week one and Auburn beat Washington in week one, does that matter? Yes, because they started out in a specific place already. And if they, uh, you know, so... They're, you're already starting to compare their resumes when you really don't know yeah. what either of those teams are yet. And so I agree with you that rankings are dumb and stupid for the first six weeks of the sure. college football season because we're already, we're already seeing comparisons yeah. like, okay, now that Auburn beat number six Washington, are they a college football playoff team? Well, no, no, because it's only week one. And no, because realistically, Washington could absolutely be garbage. And now they've lost their left tackle for the season. Uh, and so now they're going to have to do some things along their offensive line that they weren't prepared to do. Uh, and so, you could, I mean, you could see this kind of trigger a downslide for, for Washington. And then what does that win really mean for Auburn in the long haul? Yeah. And you, know, and you see this all the time, too, when you get closer and closer to that time of, of having to pick four final teams to say, you know, take 2014, where how much did that loss really hurt Ohio State? It didn't. No, not at all. So – Realistically, it's, it's we learned nothing. Yeah, it's a preseason popularity contest voted by writers that don't pay attention to games outside their conference because they don't have the ability to. Like John and, Clay from the Lexington oh Herald uh, Leader. Like, who gives some of these people votes? You just don't you just have to you, join like an organization in order to be certified and get a vote. I, I feel like we should have a vote over John Clay of the Lexington Herald I Leader at this point. That we watch more college football than John. Here's, Clay does. so John Clay didn't rank TCU this week. That's fine. Yeah. We don't know. Who knows? Here's who John Clay did rank this week. Kansas State. Who almost lost to South Dakota. They almost lost to an FCS school. South Dakota State. North Carolina State. He ranked them at 19. And they almost lost to... Going to overtime with an FCS school. Uh, He ranked Washington fifth (laughs) on on his ballot. Um, that was the highest that anybody had Washington, North Carolina State, and Kansas State ranked. I think he was the only voter to actually have NC State and Kansas State ranked. Did he just, like, sleep through last week? I think he slept through the last several years. I mean, so, some of this stuff is just ridiculous. Like, again, we don't know anything about these teams, so you might as well throw darts at the wall. But that is just clickbait trolling. Well, it works because Dean wrote a post about it for yes, frogswar.com. Yes, he did. And so. it was well worth it. It was. It absolutely was. And it did almost as many clicks as our beach body how to lose ten pounds by oh, summer post. So I, yes. <laughs> I'm so glad you 
cultivated that, though, that list. You know, it's sad, but I'm working hard. You know, <laughs> it's great. Uh, a couple other things from the Tuesday press conference with Gary Patterson. Uh, there were obviously four guys suspended for the first game, uh, mostly defensive linemen. You had LJ Collier that was suspended, Joe Brodnax that was suspended, Chris Gaynor, the guard, offensive guard, was also suspended. Uh, Patterson said that a couple of those guys are back at practice this week, but he would not reveal which ones were and which ones weren't, which is his prerogative. Yeah, and the absolutely. fact that someone asked that uh, asked him for names was you, you knew you weren't getting names, yeah. but um, I guess you have to ask the question. And so a couple of those guys will be coming back, which means theoretically that TCU's defensive line will have a couple of bodies that they didn't have available in week one. And that's important for this week. If for no other reason, then those are going to be guys, especially LJ Collier, who are going to have to be on the field and ready to rock in two weeks against yeah. Ohio State. LJ is a guy that, that concerns me that he's not back on the field yet. Um, you know, he, he got passed up in the depth chart. When Ty Summers moved around, uh, moved down to defensive end, he's been a guy in, in the past that has flashed undeniable talent, but is one of Patterson's beloved knuckleheads. And and so LJ has an opportunity to have the kind of senior season that could really, you know, vault him into potentially being a late-round draft pick or an undrafted free agent that could make a camp and, and that could continue playing football. He's got that kind of talent, yeah. but he hasn't been able to consistently put it together. And, and be an impact player. And this was his opportunity to be a three-down guy, to be mm-hmm. a guy that goes from playing maybe 20 snaps a game to 40 snaps a game and, and you know, be it for whatever reason. And who knows what's going on. I know Patterson referenced some NCAA stuff for some of these suspensions. And yeah. So we don't really know what the story is. And, and LJ seems like a great a great person, you know, and, and, a, and a, he's a talented player. But we need to get him on the field. He's going to have a chance to be a really important piece of this <laughs> offense or defensive line against some of these good offenses that we're going to see down the road. And, him getting some snaps against SMU ahead of Ohio State, like you said, is a absolutely huge deal. It is. It really is. Uh, ultimately, though, the Ty Summers, I think, kind of negates a little bit Ooh, of that impact he looks good because Saturday. he looks incredible on Saturday. Patterson said that he's going to stay down at defensive end it for makes now. Sense. Yeah, it uh, makes sense. And, and realistically, you've got a guy in, in Ty Summers who is versatile enough to be defensive end or be a linebacker, really, however you need him. And he's intelligent enough to where he can just kind of slide into either of those roles. Uh, and do what you need him to do in the moment. So, you know, with Summers at defensive end, it's not as big of a deal, but it's still a huge deal to get LJ Collier ready yeah. for that Ohio State game. Um, we already kind of talked a little bit about Patterson's thoughts on, on non-conference scheduling. He likes it. He likes having an FCS school, a G5 school, and one Power 5 school. Okay. I can't blame him for that from a coaching standpoint. And he made a really compelling argument to Melissa where he said, um, you know, look at the ways – think about – in the larger, larger picture, what it takes to do what TCU has done and moving from the WAC to Conference USA to the Mountain West to Big East slash Big 12. He, he, his argument is that if TCU was one of those G5 schools that was constantly scheduling every big Power 5 school that they could schedule, yeah. they probably wouldn't be in the Big 12 right now because they would have lost a lot of those games. Sure. Uh, and so it's a it's a smart move, even though it's kind of a frustrating thing from a fan perspective uh, to to see your team not play some great uh, opponents early on in the season. He also made the compelling argument that right now TCU's in the Big 12. They're going to play Oklahoma every year, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Texas. Whether or not they're good, that's a that's a win that you need to have. Uh, and and so 
you're going to get into big games later in the season. And so he says at some point you have to get these guys ready to play. Absolutely. And with the amount of practices that you're allotted now in the fall camp, realistically you need that week of game prep and that one game really kind of as a tune-up. Uh, and so that, that was his argument. It makes sense to me. I still, like I said earlier, I would prefer that we not schedule FCS schools and maybe maybe add a second G5 game, right? Well, like let's it, go schedule Tulsa or Rice yeah. or, gosh, I don't know, someone else. Well, and it's hard on fans too, especially if you look at this season where, you know, we only have, what, five home games, six home games, and, and one of those is going to be an FCS yeah. school. And yeah. you're asking people to pay, you know, for that, that level of competition. And then you're also asking them to add another 200 to $400 to, to go watch CCU play at Ohio State. And, yeah. and, I, and I, I mean, I totally understand the fan perspective. But at the end of the day, Gary Patterson's job isn't to make the fans happy. It's to, it's to win football games. And if he feels that this is the best way to prepare his team, then we need to get behind him and support it. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, we stayed for the entire Southern game. Yeah, we did. And you were outside and, for most of it. It was 138 degrees uh, on the football It was so field. hot out there. It was all, and that From little, what I that little photo vest that was really cute, yeah. that just added another Number five Number 130, right? Easily. Oof. Uh, yes. So uh, we, we, can talk, we can talk around it all we want, but TCU is playing a football game on Friday night against SMU over in Dallas. It's at 7 o'clock on ESPN2. It's a quick drive, though, and it would be really cool to once again outnumber SMU fans in yeah. their own stadium. So if twenty or if everyone at Duchess shows up at SMU on Friday night, we should be good. We did just get a Twitter question that asked uh, the uh, for our over under on number of SMU fans in attendance set at two hundred and thirty six. <laughs> I'm going to go over by a little bit. I'm going to take over just because they've got that new student yeah. section patio thing that ki- that they'll stand on for a minute. Yes. I mean, it is a Friday night, which I think is, it could draw fairly well. It's not going to be super hot. Now, it may be raining, mm-hmm. which could absolutely uh, keep the fans away from an SMU perspective because don't they all wear white on the boulevard or something? So it could be all kinds of trouble. I don't know. I don't know what they do over there. All I know is that the few times that I've walked through campus at SMU, it's incredibly poorly lit at night. And I don't know why. It's but not that very just... lit in the football stadium either. <laughs> God. Hey. You are too old to make jokes like that. You cannot make jokes like that anymore. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, God. <laughs> Moving right along. Uh, let's talk about picks to click. All right. Melissa, who do you have? Who's your first pick to click on, So on mine, mine this are not very creative, but it's because I expect to see some of our big players put up big stats. And he had a really, really good game one, uh, but it was obvious after the game that he's, he's not satisfied with that. And so yeah. Jalen Rager is, is my first pick to click. I think that we're going to look uh, for him and Sean's chemistry to be a little bit better. He missed, Sean missed Jalen a couple times on, on potential touchdown passes. Uh, Rager talked about that, how he needs to do a better job um, and how, how their chemistry needs to be better. And it, and it sounded like they were going to really work on that in practice. And so I think that the TC is going to go for the jugular right away. We're going to see a deep ball in probably the first series that we're, that's going to be just Jalen Rager trying to outrace and as poor or helpless SMU defensive back. And I have a feeling it'll go pretty well for, for TC in that instance. So give me Rager. He's only going to probably play 25, 30 snaps. Uh, but give me two touchdowns, maybe 60, 70 yards of offense, and then a nice, comfortable seat on the bench. Nice. Very nice. Uh, my first is Shewo, Alana Lua. I think he's going to be the feature back in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as Darius still works his way back from injury, uh, you know, it is a level up in competition from Southern, and you are, like I said, trying to get ready for Ohio State. So you've got to get your main guys more reps in this game. Uh, so I think Shewo is the guy in the backfield. I think that, you know, after watching SMU's defense against North Texas just flounder, uh, that he has a big game. This is an opportunity also for the offensive line to really start to gel. 
um, even more than they already have. And so giving them an opportunity to do some legit run blocking sure. like they will moving forward, uh, I think Shea benefits from that to the tune of, you know, 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. Awesome. Yeah. Well, he may, he may get some competition, you know, from a guy that a lot of people started to go, oh, wait, who's that guy? Yeah. And that's Amari DeMarcado, who, uh-huh. who had a great second half of action and, and looked like he could do some special things. So yeah. Eight I think, carries for 60-something yards, yeah. I think. Yeah. He looks, he made some nice cuts. He's got some good speed. Had a so. 40-yard kickoff return, too. Yeah. It'll be Shots fun to watch those speed. two guys battle. It will uh, be. Speaking of battle, not just battle for the iron skillet. Oh, dang battle for uh to, to get in the stat sheet a little bit and that was a guy who who played like his head was on fire but not necessarily in a good way and that was uh ben banigu mm-hmm. uh you know he, he had a couple of penalties he almost got ejected for targeting um it was overturned on review he was a little bit amped up and and, and just he played a little too fast and so uh, patterson talked in the postgame presser about letting the game come to him i think that we see a ben banigu who plays a little bit more under control who's a little bit more patient on defense, but that really gets after Ben Hicks and makes it a long, long day for SMU's quarterback. Uh, he's going to get his first two sacks, and I think I, I see kind of a strip sack, fumble, recovery in his future Friday night as well. I like it. I'm a fan of that. Ben Hicks is a relatively mobile kid. Uh, yeah. He doesn't run very often, but he does move well in the pocket. But uh, Ben Manigou can run. If North Texas's defense can hit you in the mouth, yeah. Then TCU's defense is going to hit through your mouth, yes. like through the back of your head. It's nice, nice visual. I like Thank that. Thank you. Uh, my next pick to click is Nico Small. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is one of the guys that had a coverage breakdown against Southern. He's the one that messed up on that wheel route. Patterson said that this same wheel route is something that SMU really likes to run, uh, especially their offensive coordinator who ran this when he was at UConn and when he was at Auburn. Um, and so I expect to see that same wheel route again from SMU, and I expect Nico to defend it perfectly this time around, maybe to the tune of an interception, but at least a pass defended uh, on a route similar to that or identical to the one that we saw on Saturday. And Nico was one of the guys that we had the opportunity to talk to after the game on Saturday, uh, and he, he talked about expectations for a Gary Patterson defense and how in a couple of those moments on Saturday against Southern, they really didn't live up to those expectations, and he did not. Like, he viscerally did not seem okay with that. And so yeah. he seems like that's kind of senior leader who's ready leader. Yeah. To, to really kind of take over from a leadership standpoint. And part of that has to be play on the field. Yeah, And so absolutely. I think you see him have a really nice bounce-back game. It's not that he had a terrible game. He had really one miscue yeah. on Saturday. But I think you see him flying to the ball uh, just maybe a little bit more on Saturday against SMU. Absolutely. SMB. Should we talk a little bit about some of the other stuff that's yeah, going on? Yeah, there were some, there were some things going around in college football that weren't just TCU related. Turns so, out, so Michigan lost a big game. Melissa, breaking news: player breaking news sounder. That's Sports Center. I think we can't do that. I'm gonna have to edit that out. I'm gonna have to edit that out. But so Michigan lost another big game. They've made that a tradition under Jim Harbaugh is losing games that matter, and they got. Pretty well handed to them by um, Notre Dame. They got they got it pretty well handed to them by Notre Dame on Saturday night. Yes, they did. Uh, in South Bend, Indiana. So it was a home game for Notre Dame. But Michigan, <laughs> everybody came into that game talking about Michigan's defense. And it was Notre Dame's defense that yeah. really showed up and shut Notre down Dame Shea Patterson. Uh, but Michigan fans were extraordinarily upset after this loss. Uh, and so folks have started calling for Jim Harbaugh's seat like they want him fired they they think he's not getting the job done he he is one in four against ohio state since he went back to college level um 
But Michigan's president came out earlier this week and said that Jim Harbaugh is not, in fact, on the hot seat. Do you believe him? Well, there's nothing that should give you more fear if you are a college football coach than the full support of your athletic director and president. Vote of confidence? Yeah. Now, I, I don't think that Jim Harbaugh is on the hot seat. Um, I think that they would have to uh, – there would have to be a lot worse to get rid of him with as much hype and fanfare as he came in with as much as he's getting paid. Um, I think they're going to give Harbaugh some time. Now, if they don't make some noise and get it turned around a little bit later this season, I could see that changing. But in the moment, no, I, I, don't, think, I don't think Harbaugh's on the hot seat at all right now. I think it's starting to get a little warm, though. Yeah. You know, when you have a 1-4 and four record against your biggest rival, when it's season six now, and you come out and you lay an egg in week one sure. against a, a, another rival, um, you know, it's, it can be problematic because ultimately at some point you can win eight games a year. This, it's the Georgia effect, right? Like sure. Georgia under Mark Richt won eight to, eight to nine games pretty much every single season. But eventually, like, he couldn't win the SEC. He couldn't beat Alabama, Alabama or Auburn. Yeah. He, you know, he couldn't always consistently beat Florida sure. or Tennessee. And it got him fired. Yeah. Even though you were winning eight or nine games this season. And so now he's at Miami. And look, they hired Kirby Smart. They were in the national championship last year. Their top three team again this year. And so I think Michigan fans look at Georgia specifically sure. and say, yeah, like, we're, fu- like, we're making bowls. But realistically, do we want to be in the Outback Bowl or do we want to be in the college football yeah. playoff? And I, I just I think that the clock has started now on Jim Harbaugh because ultimately Michigan fans aren't going to be satisfied with eight wins for much longer. No. Well, and, and the Big Ten is, you know, very top-heavy, but it's not getting easier at the top because you still have Ohio State. Wisconsin is, looks like they're going to be a really good team this year. Nebraska's on the, on the, the come up with Scott Frost. Um, you've got uh, Rutgers, so you've got one win a year. Um, and then you also have Michigan State, which is always one of the best coach teams in the conference. And yeah. then you also have a Northwestern team that seems to be kind of hitting their stride under Pat Fitzgerald. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see if, if, if Michigan does not kind of break through a little bit, does his seat get hot at the end of the season? But I think it's far too early. And Notre Dame looks like they could potentially be a top-five team if they're able to complete passes like that and if they have a quarterback that plays, you know, as well as he played against what should be a really good defense um, all season long. So... Yeah. I'm interested to see what that looks like long-term. I would say right now I wouldn't be worried if I was Jim Harbaugh, but, you know, talk to me at the end of the season, and if things haven't changed, certainly could be. Moving right along, though, you know, it's fun to talk about Michigan. Aw. Uh, it's It's fun to talk about Michigan, but it's way more fun to talk about Kansas. Yes. Kansas wow. football, everybody. Kansas, uh, there's at least one professor at the University of Kansas, who doesn't think that they should have an FBS football team anymore. There's Might a law professor. Wrong. Do they have an FBS football team now? This is a fair question. A law professor made the, made the proposal. He's making the case, essentially, for Kansas to drop football down to the FCS level. Wait, they haven't already done that? They, they still play in the Big 12. They beat Texas two years ago, Melissa. Oh, that's right. I've forgotten. Do you, so, so here's the thing, like, it's not, it's not also like not being met with ridicule. Yeah. Like this person came out and said, Hey, maybe Kansas should be playing FCS football, not FBS football. And everyone's like, yeah, you're probably right. Well, it, it's, I don't know what's going on at Kansas. It looks like they've tried to make decent hires. They brought in Doug Meacham. You know, David Beatty was not a bad hire by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination. They had Charlie Weiss. They, they, it's not that they're not even trying. It's that nothing they're trying is working. 
And so yeah. I don't know if that's something that, that Jeff Long can fix or if that's even above him. I don't know if, if it means dropping down a level of competition. But right now they are not doing the rest of the conference any favors. And, and the, the university is pouring money into a program that does not look like it has any hope of being competitive anytime soon. All right, I don't so blame I, them. I actually I need to make a correction to what I said earlier. Um, the Kansas professor didn't say move to FCS. The Kansas professor said drop football altogether and spend that money somewhere else. I mean, that's a little bit more extreme. Uh, You know, I mean, if you're Kansas, right, like basketball is always going to be number one. But in order to be a big 12 institution, don't you have to have football? Like it not technically, it's not like a technical requirement, but (laughs) if you're not going to have a football team, are you still going to be in the big 12? Well, I think the big 12 wouldn't drop Kansas just because of basketball. And, And because their basketball program is so solid, that that would probably hold them. Now, that being said, I think then you're looking at a Big 12 that absolutely has to expand. And if so they're what not you're, able to expand. So what you're telling me, Melissa, is that Kansas football could be the trigger for the next conference realignment? Can we just drop Kansas and Baylor and big move eight. forward? Be the Big 8 again. Be the, whatever be awesome. it takes. It'd be legit. Moving right along, though, Willie Taggart, new head coach of Florida State. <laughs> Uh, his team got it handed to them on Monday night this week by Virginia Tech. Uh, Willie Taggart accuses Virginia Tech players of faking injuries to slow down Florida State's offense. Florida State scored 10 points? Three points? Three? Did they get in the end zone? I don't think they ever got in the end zone. I think it was... It was- it's hard to slow an offense down when the offense isn't moving. And now I did see... Uh, I-, I was watching that game. And I did see a couple of instances where Florida State would have a relatively big play. A Virginia Tech guy would be down on the ground. And then they would show a replay, and the guy was, like, jogging down the field until he looked at the sideline, and then he went down and, and grabbed his, his calf or whatever. So I don't necessarily think Willie Taggart is wrong. I don't think Virginia Tech players faking injuries was what slowed down no. Florida State's offense on Monday night. No, I think no. it was DeAndre Francois continually throwing footballs to Virginia Tech's defensive backs. He threw, they, they turned the ball over five times. He threw four interceptions. And the offensive line was The offensive horrendous. line was awful. Awful. Every kind of luck play went Virginia Tech's way, too. You had a sure. blocked punt for a touchdown. Uh, you had a couple tipped passes that uh, went for picks. Willie, Ta- I mean, Willie Taggart's probably not wrong that Virginia Tech players were trying to stall out Florida State's offense. But should that really be what he's focusing on this week? No, and, and I think that that's, you know, just a young coach who gets his legitimate dream job and it does not go the way that he anticipates and he's looking for any reason to, to kind of deflect blame or whatever else. Um, you know, yeah. if, if they were faking injuries, I hate that. I hate that college football has turned into soccer in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not seem like something that, that Justin Fuente would do, but at the same time, you know, the stakes are so high for these teams. If you think you can get an advantage and that's what they're doing, then that's what happened. And, and, you know, there's really no way to prove it or to punish it. So, yeah. um, but, you know, I think Florida State absolutely has bigger problems. Jimbo left them kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be more than a one-year fix. I think Taggart will have some, some leash there. I think they'll probably give him three or four years. But the ACC does not look particularly tr- strong. And so they're going to be expected to compete, you know, maybe not at Clemson's level, but close to it sooner rather than later. Yeah, they are, and, uh, you know, Taggart, someone was criticizing Taggart because of his record the other day, talking about, you know, uh, at Western Kentucky and at South Florida, he was really only a 500 coach. Uh, I don't think that record is the best 
no, thing to look not. at Especially when you're looking at, at a level, coach like yeah. Willie Taggart because, yeah, he took over a Western Kentucky program that was garbage yeah. and went 2-10 in his first yeah. year. When he left, they went 10-2 and in his final season. And, and they Same thing with South well. Florida. Yeah. They won two games his first year. They won 11 games his last year. So, yeah, he's going to have a close to 500 record. But that doesn't that that data is not sufficient to show sure. the kind of coach that Willie Taggart really is, and I don't think that one game at Florida State is no. enough of a sample size. He's got his, he's got to install his system. He's got to install his culture. We've seen this a couple of times where schools don't give coaches enough time yeah. to actually turn programs around. Looking at you, Texas, and so hopefully Florida State will give him the amount of time that he needs to really instill yeah. his culture, his program values, and all of that kind of stuff. Because once you install that at that level, kids buy in from the get-go. Sure, once you get a couple of your recruiting classes coming in who know what they're getting into, they start to buy in a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you're not going to see that after one game. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, th- there were a lot of kind of somewhat upset wins, you know, by, by teams, uh, t- teams that were expected to be in the top ten that didn't perform well. You know, we talked about Virginia Tech, uh, you know, whooping all over Florida State. Maybe not a huge upset, but, but still kind of a big deal in Tallahassee. Talked about Notre Dame uh, just destroying Michigan and, yeah. and setting them off. Um, you know, you look at uh, Miami and LSU. You know, Miami, maybe now you start to say, was that the most overrated team in the preseason top 25? Or is LSU just a lot better than the, we thought they were? Or neither. We don't know. Or neither, yeah. Because realistically, everybody's talking about, oh, man, Joe Burrow transferred from Ohio State to LSU. And look at how awesome he is in the SEC. He completed less than 50% of his passes yeah. and didn't throw a touchdown. Yeah. So that, that LSU offense is still an LSU offense, but once again, they have a dominant running back, and they have a defense that is going to make life miserable for the opponent. Well, they got a defense that has to play without Calavion yes, Chase on now which, for the rest of the does, season, which does hurt significantly. But you know, I, I do think that they have the dad. But Ed Orgeron is, is one of those guys that, that players are going to buy into what he's selling. And if they can start, if they can start off the season with a couple of early wins, and they could really be challengers in the SEC because those kids will run into a brick wall and through a brick wall for Edo. Yeah, they absolutely will. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's week one. So let's move on to week two because TCU isn't the only team that plays this weekend. They play on Friday night, so you can get that game out of the way. Watch TCU beat SMU, and then you have all day Saturday, all day Saturday. To watch, to watch USC at Stanford football. Saturday night. So let's start with the Big 12, and then we'll move to big games like USC versus Tree. Uh, let's make some picks, though. You ready to make picks? I'm ready. Game one, Kansas State hosts number 18, Ooh, Mississippi State. No one is talking about how bad Kansas State looked in that game. They were not good. They were terrible. They were not good. South Dakota almost beat them. And this isn't South Dakota State, right? No. This, this isn't the good D- South Dakota team. This isn't North Dakota yes. State. This isn't South Dakota. This is South Dakota. This is a team that I didn't even know had football. And... They almost beat Kansas State, who was pretty much the the national pick to be the sleeper team yeah. in the Big 12 this year. If they're a sleeper, I think that they did not wake up to, in time for a game one. They do need to wake up. Uh, so I'm taking Mississippi State Yeah, this Mississippi week. State looks pretty solid. They're, they're expected to be a, a really competitive team. If Kansas State doesn't turn things around in a hurry, they're in danger of starting on to. It could be problematic for them, yeah. So miss, give me Mississippi State. Give Melissa Mississippi State. Next game on the docket, number six, Oklahoma, hosting UCLA. Uh, can we talk for a minute about what Oklahoma did to Florida Ooh, Atlantic? I would rather not. It My God. Rude, <laughs> in a word. It was rude. Lane Kiffin 
after that game looked more defeated than Urban Meyer did when he was eating pizza on a golf cart. He looked more defeated than after TCU shut out Kansas last year and Doug Meacham was sitting in a stairwell with his hand in his head, his, his head in his hands. Like he, he looked at the media and he said, if that's not the best team in the country, I don't know who is. And he's, he's got an argument, you know. I mean, Oklahoma came out. Everybody expected FAU to give them a, a run for their money. And they did. They what did, did they not. do? They won 63-14. to 14. Yeah, that, that looks scary. Oklahoma replaced their starters before halftime in this game. If Kyler Murray plays like that all season and stays upright, Oklahoma game. is dangerous. It's video uh, game numbers. UCLA, on the other hand, Chip Kelly's got a lot of work to do. They were kind of a dark horse pick for me in, in a, a Pac-12 South that looked like it was going to be in rebuild mode. Uh, but, no, I take that back. I was wrong. UCLA is terrible. Chip Kelly's probably two years away from being competitive, and Oklahoma is going to roll yet again, and we could be looking at a top-four Oklahoma team by week three. Well, it's the same thing with UCLA that I think, anyways, that it is with Florida State. You've got a new coach, new system. Yeah, it's going to take time. Hasn't recruited much yet. Yeah, he'll it's be gonna fine. It's going to take time. But it's I, yeah, take I mean, Chip Kelly is a good coach. Say what you will about his time in the NFL. He's a great, he's a great yeah, offensive great mind, especially at the college, college level. Coach, UCLA yeah. is going to be fine. I think Oklahoma rolls, though, oh, yeah. in this game on Saturday. Next up, Kansas nope. goes to Central Michigan. This is and be they're ugly. going to get steamrolled. Yeah, this is going to be ugly. They lost to Nichols State. I didn't know Nichols had a state. It's not a state. Yeah. Central now Michigan is going to... Yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be, be bad. rough. That's going to be rough. Question for you. Does David Beatty get fired before Big 12 conference play starts? Because they, they go to Central Michigan this week, and then I think next week they play another Power 5 school. I th- let me look it up. Well, so, so here's what could happen. Is we could see, we could see David Beatty. They play well, Rutgers. They host. Oh, oh my God. God. Week three, we have Kansas versus Rutgers. The two what worst. What did we do to deserve that? <laughs> I'm going to watch it. Oh, yeah, you have to. It's like watching a train wreck. You can't turn your eyes away. I don't care what other game is happening at that time. I will be watching Kansas against Rutgers. Can that be my bet payout is that I don't get to watch any other football game other than Kansas-Rutgers that day? Except for the TCU game, obviously. While you eat the chip of death. Okay, the one sh- the the one chip challenge chips are still over a hundred dollars on <laughs> eBay. We've had people offer to start a GoFundMe. We didn't get that that comment then, all right. today. <laughs> if someone wants to start a GoFundMe, I will do the one chip challenge. I can't, I'm not spending hundred and twenty dollars on a chip. Well, I, I will. I will say this. <laughs> oh that, God! I think someone in the restaurant yep, is ordering one right now. Right this moment. We could, oh, we no. could see David Beatty fired by week three and Doug Meacham, the interim head coach of the Kansas Jayhawks. You don't, I, you don't think so? No, I just, I, I think that it could be true. And that, has a coach ever been fired earlier in the season for, like, not cause? I bet we're about to find out. Yeah, Kansas is, is going to get rough. Uh, Texas Tech? On the bounce back, playing Lamar. Um, I think we'll, we'll see Tech get it together a little bit here. Now, they did lose their starting quarterback, uh, which means that we're probably at the dawn of the Jet Duffy era. Yep. Uh, I, I think that he'll run all over Lamar. Tech will start to look like Tech again and then fall back into also being Tech again shortly thereafter. Yeah, I mean, they're going to the be, be one and one. Granted, Lamar didn't Lamar beat Baylor last year, or was that Baylor's one win? No, Baylor's one win was Kansas. <laughs> so, Lamar... 
Maybe they, they maybe lost I'm to Duke. No, it was it was uh, UTSA and uh, Liberty and. Uh, oh, that's Duke. right. They lost yeah. to Liberty. Yeah. Liberty. So, yeah, but but Lamar's not beating Texas Tech. Okay. Not at home. Not no, they're not. Uh, Iowa State at Iowa is a pretty interesting matchup, especially considering that Iowa State didn't get to play their first game. It was canceled yeah. because of weather, uh, and so we haven't even seen this iteration of the Cyclones yet. I think this is a really angry Iowa State team. I don't think that they liked getting picked to, to be so low in the Big 12. I think they think they're better than everyone else does, and I think they're going to take it out on Iowa and get a big win on the road. I think David Montgomery very well could be the best running back in the Big 12. Yeah, and that's saying something this year. It's a loaded conference. It is. And, yeah, I think Iowa State pulls off the win at Iowa. I think it's a close game. I think Iowa State still remembers that game a year ago yep. where they opened up against Iowa and lost, I think, in double overtime. Yeah. They did all that work to come back from a big deficit, and then they couldn't pull off the win at home in Ames. So I, th- sure I think they, they get, get the win. I think it's a revenge here. West Virginia is going to go 2-0. They're yep. hosting Youngstown State. Will Greer just has an opportunity to kind of fine-tune things with his receivers a little bit more. Should be out by halftime. That's not much of a game. Baylor goes to UTSA. Baylor's going to get that win. They're going to double their win total from a year ago. Now, they gave up 27 points Mm -hmm. to Abilene Christian. They're going to give up 30 to UTSA, but they're going to score 60. You really think so? Charlie Brewer got a little banged up. I think they're going to be fine. I I think that they're going to roll in the preseason. They're going to start 3-0, and everyone's going to start talking about the resurgence, and then they're going to get to conference play, and everyone's going to remember they're not quite back yet. Yeah. Another win for the Big 12 coming up this week. Oklahoma State is hosting South Alabama. South Alabama looked terrible yeah. in their first game, and Oklahoma State just laid the hammer down on Missouri yeah. State. They're just plugging in another quarterback and going. Except it seemed like most OSU fans weren't very pleased with Cornelius at quarterback, even though he threw for five touchdowns. I didn't watch much of that game, so I don't know really what their complaint was. I, maybe I should go back and well, watch they, it. Well, they've got a really exciting true freshman that they'd rather see out there instead of the fifth-year okay. senior that's been biding his time. I do. I will say this. I do think that we will see the true freshman before the season is over as the starter. Because For, of injury or just because he get, Cornelius no, because, gets No, because Oklahoma State's going to lose a game early that, that they had a chance to win, and, and they're going to pull him at halftime, and we're going to see the true freshman because he looks like he's going to be a stud. Nice. I don't see Mike Gundy as that kind of coach, though. I, I think he's either, just kind of a ride or die with his win, guys. Yeah. That's true. Uh, and lastly, a toss-up game, Texas hosting Tulsa. <laughs> Horn's going to bounce back. They'll look ugly doing it. Did you know that Texas has not won – a Power 5 non-conference game since Mac Brown was their head coach. Wow. They lost two games against Cal, two games against BYU. They've lost to USC. They lost two games to Maryland. Wow. They also have not won eight games since Mac Brown has been their head coach. Yeah. Texas They're not in a good trouble. way. They haven't won three games in a row since Mac Brown was fired. Texas is bad. Texas also only has one more Big 12 championship than Baylor. Jeez. All time. That's not just like in the last eight years. That's all time. And yet, they start ranked in the top 25 every Well, they, they year. started ranked. They didn't get a single vote yeah. this week, rightfully so. But they host Tulsa. They should win that game. Sure. If they don't. Tom Herman could be joining David Beatty in the unemployment line. Yeah, he could. On to other big games across the country. A couple yes. ranked-on-ranked matchups. Uh, a sneaky good South Carolina team 
plays uh-huh. Georgia. Uh, Georgia looks like a machine. So South Carolina might be a good story this year. They're not beating the Bulldogs. Yeah, you know, Georgia replaces a lot, especially at the running back position, losing Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle last year. But they got Jake from State Farm. Yeah. So they're going to be all right. They'll be fine. Defensively, they're, monst- they're just monsters. <laughs> and I, I think Georgia's putting together another top – Another, another number one recruiting class again this year. They're just yeah. they're recruiting they're, they're machine out right of now. this world. They're they're incredible. Texas A and M hosts number two Clemson. God help us! Please don't let this even be a close game. Clemson just kind of needs to come in and take care of business. They are. I do not want to live in a state where Texas A and M is competitive with the number two we team won't. in the country. We won't. Scary. It's fine. Texas A and M is going to lose this game by three touchdowns. All right, heard it here first. Breaking news. Because Clemson's defense is probably the best defense in the country yeah their defensive line is is just absolutely yes they they, they've got questions at quarterback they don't know if they're going to go with kelly bryant or trevor lawrence from series to series they played both pretty evenly against Furman. texas a&m okay they're everywhere aggies are everywhere i am so sorry but you're going to get smoked by clemson on saturday (laughs) it's gonna happen You'll beat Louisiana Monroe the next week. Bama is the week after that, so I'm sorry again. But it's a real, rough like, September for Jimbo Fisher. Here's the thing, too, is and I know that this isn't every Aggie fan, but this is the loud Aggie fans who are going to say if Texas A&M loses this game and loses it poorly to Clemson, people are already going to start talking about Jimbo Fisher being overrated. Ooh. That's the kind of fan base that we're dealing with here. Yep. And, and so realistically... Uh, I think realistic Texas A&M fans know that Clemson is probably going to win this game. I think unrealistic Texas A&M fans, which is feels like sometimes the majority of them, ex- expects to beat Clemson and expects to beat Alabama this season just because Jimbo Fisher is their head coach. Sure. Without regard to the fact that they've still got a sophomore quarterback in Kellen Mond who was shaky all of last year, looked good in week one, but they were playing Northwestern State. You know, yes, they've got a really good running back in Travion Williams. Uh, that kid, I love that kid. He's a stud at running back. Defensively, they've got a ton of question marks still. You know, Miles Garrett isn't coming out of that locker room. Vaughn Miller's not coming out of that locker room. So how are they going to stop Clemson's offense? Yeah. I don't know. No. Uh, so give me Clemson Fair. in that game. Let's talk about the game I want to talk about. Yes. Tree. Number 17, USC. Tree. Number 10, Stanford. A game Tree. I will be in attendance at, which I'm super excited about. Thanks for playing on a Friday night, TCU. Uh, it's going to be interesting. USC looked a lot better than people expected in week one. They've got a good running back. They have a true freshman quarterback who's supposed to still be playing high school football, but he looked pretty solid. Unfortunately, yeah. Stanford has a way of making true freshman quarterbacks look really, really dumb, uh, and I think that they're they're going to pick apart this USC team uh, this week. Yeah, so US, it, USC. It'll be a, it won't be a, it won't be a blowout because Stanford doesn't blow people out. No, but they will just systematically dismantle them. I think so. I, USC was relatively unimpressive to me in week one. Uh, Stanford, you know, David Shaw's just got that it's thing a going. They're very methodical. It's a, machine. it's a process, right? It's fundamental football. It's kind of like the San Antonio Spurs <laughs> in the NBA. They're not flashy, but Bryce Love is going to kill you. Yeah. Death by a thousand rushes, he's yep. going to kill you. So, yeah, I think, I think Stanford wins that game. Last game uh, is an interesting game. It's a Pac-12 Big Ten matchup. Michigan State against Arizona State. Michigan State struggled yeah. with Utah State uh, on Friday night of last week, but they're still ranked 15th in the country. Arizona State's not a known commodity yet. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
this is an interesting game to me because this is one of those non-conference games that really helps us get a picture of where conferences yeah, stand sure. against one another. You know, we I don't know what Michigan State is yet. We don't know what Arizona State is yet. But we'll start to know, like, oh, okay, kind of here's where the here's where the conferences kind of line up with each other. Yeah, I, I think Michigan State wins. I think it's an ugly game. It's not a blowout, but it, I think Michigan still wins probably by two scores. I don't know. I, I don't know. I just don't know enough about Arizona State yet. But yeah. I do think Michigan State wins. We've got Let's questions. We got so many questions this We're week. We're going to have to power through some of these quickly so we quickly. don't get to that 90 We'll take the serious again. ones. We'll do them quickly. Then we'll get to the funny ones. Ethan asks on Twitter, how important is the Ohio State game towards trying to make it to the playoffs uh, and in the AP ranking? Is it more or less important than a conference matchup? you got to win the Big 12 if you want to get in. Um, you can afford to lose early, but if you're TCU, this is a game you have to win. If you're going to go 11-1 and one and win the Big 12 championship for win number 12, this is the one that can push you over another one-loss team. If you're Ohio State, you can afford to lose early. Yes. If you're TCU, yes. I don't think you can. I completely agree. Uh, so I, I think that this game is equally as important uh, as any conference matchup is insofar as trying to make the playoffs uh, and as far as AP ranking is concerned. Yeah. Obviously, it has no bearing on whether TCU wins or loses the Big 12. Sure. Uh, and conference championships do matter. But if you don't have this feather in your cap, especially when you play Southern and SMU as your other non-conference games, everyone is going to look at this game and say, oh, okay, well, they lost to Ohio State. So how good are they really in the grand scheme of things? Especially when it looks like the Big 12 is going to be a little bit down this yeah. year and the perception of the Big 12 is already bad. Yeah. It would be a huge win for TCU. It would not be as bad of a loss for Ohio State as the win would be meaningful for TCU, if that makes sense. Yes. Alex asks, hey, do you know why – I don't know why I said it like that. Yeah. Alex hey. asks, hey, hey do Alex. you know why Dylan Thomas didn't play last week yeah, versus Southern? Yeah, I noticed Southern? that. He was listed at the starter, but I didn't really see him on the field. He's still listed as the starter for Friday night. I wonder if he was one of those guys that got held out. Could potentially be. So uh, the answer, Alex, is no, we do not know. I don't know. We'll I don't know Friday if he'll night. play on, on uh, Friday against SMU. I'm hoping. But then again, TCU played 80 players on Saturday, sure. so, so who knows? they've got bodies. Yeah. Um, will asks, what impact will the rain have on the game plan? None. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, that's a, the benefit of having a guy like Sean Robinson yeah. who can throw a ball that can cut through the rain. Um, now, it does make it a little bit slippier. You're looking at a sloppier game, maybe more turnovers. But because Sean can tuck it and run as well, I don't think it's going to impact TCU negatively too much. Maybe less deep balls. Maybe more short passes, but at the end yeah. of the day, you, you got to be able to win in those conditions, and so I'm not too worried. I think I think with a guy like Robinson, wind affects him more than rain. Yes, sure. Uh, just because his, he's he's got a crazy strong arm, yeah. he's still working on timing sure. and getting the ball out on time. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think rain will affect that as much as maybe a windstorm would, like it, we saw at Texas Tech last year. Another question from Will is Baylor TCU 2015 the worst weather? that you can recall TCU ever playing in. Um, Top three for me. It's definitely the worst weather TCU's ever played in that I've been present yes. for. I was also at the uh, Ike game when they played Stanford in Fort Worth. Yeah, Wars, yeah, yeah. Um, which, that was just rain. It wasn't cold, really. Um, the uh, the SMU game from several years ago that was yeah. basically played. And then the Clemson game. The Andy Dalton I was at game. that game, too. And that was rainy and cold, but it wasn't nearly as cold as it was. Yeah. For that post Thanksgiving, plus, plus the lightning Baylor delays. Game. Baylor's probably yeah. the worst one that 
I mean, maybe one of those games like up in Colorado State or Wyoming when yeah. Mountain West or Air days. Force when we played that snow game uh, at Air Force. Yeah, or like BYU or something. But yeah. as far as I can I recall, yeah, that that was a terrible game. It's, it's as bad as I we can remember. Yes, another will. Will Ryan asks, do you think there will be any gamesmanship between Sonny and Gary on Friday? Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, Gary talked on Tuesday about that in-game coaching. Yeah. How you have to make adjustments, you're going to get your teeth kicked in. He was re- referencing the Stanford game with, coaching against David Shaw. He he used the word delightful yeah. to describe that game, which I almost laughed out loud. Um, but realistically, like Gary and, and Sonny Dykes, they were on the same staff together for a year. Yeah, well, and I think Gary has a lot of respect for Sonny. So while yeah. I do expect to see maybe a trick play or something kind of fun, at the end of the day, I think that TCU is just going to try to get out of there with the win, look good doing it, but not embarrass a guy that Pat Patterson really respects. Yes. Uh, Mountain Man Jim from the oh, website Jim. asks, got Coach Mel, this is specifically for you. What does Mace feel like? I don't know what you're speaking of. And do you know any CBS reporters that care to comment? Uh, when the, the, the SMU game back in the day was not pleasant, but I also didn't get directly sprayed, so I can't really thankfully speak to Mace. I'm not sure what he means by the CBS reporters. I think I missed something there, but that's not surprising. It's been a week. Yeah, I don't know either. Favorite. That question wasn't for me, though, so. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite iron skillet recipe? Biscuits. Obviously. obviously. Uh, of the 98-year history of the TCU-SMU rivalry, what has been the best game? Man. So I wasn't at this game. I don't even know when this game happened. Uh, but there was a year where SMU was undefeated. And the TCU-SMU game was the last game of the season. And TCU beat them to keep them from being undefeated. Yes. So just knowing the context of the rivalry, I'm going to say that that was the best game ever. Yeah. There have been some fun games. There have been some close competitions. Um, I, I don't know that I can think of a specific one that reminds me of, that, that rings as my favorite. Let's see. If you were going to go to one TCU home game this season, which game would it be oh, and you. why? Yeah. That's, I'm, I'm hoping that we both come in as, as a one-loss or an undefeated team. That's, that's a game that I'm hoping lives up to the hype. Looking at our schedule leading into that game, hopefully, I mean, Ohio State is the big one. But other than that, I mean, you've got Texas, you've got Iowa State, you've got Texas Tech before you play OU. But realistically, those are those should be three wins Yeah. if everyone's healthy. You're, you're hoping that, that you're coming in as a one-loss team or an undefeated team, as is OU, and that you're looking at maybe game day coming back to Fort Worth. Yes. Purple Link asks, is Texas back? No. But his real question is, or their real question is, uh, how much fun would it be to beat Ohio State and then watch them slide the rest of the year? TCU seems to occasionally burst the bubble of some teams after that upset, uh, and then the team drops off the radar for the season. Uh, it would not be fun to watch Ohio no, State tank. we need them to keep winning. We need, Ohio, we need to beat Ohio State. We need them to be really good. I would, I would enjoy prefer Ohio State being terrible. But we need them to win. Just generally, sure. But if they won the Big Ten after we beat them, that's the best case scenario for TCU in that yeah. point. Uh, Mac Froggy asks, TCU's announced attendance uh, for the Southern game was over a little over 42,000. How many people do you think were actually there? I am sure that many people came through the gates once. But by the second half, it was probably significantly less than that. I wonder if that was just a paid attendance number. That could be, too. Like season ticket holders and all that kind of stuff. The student section started strong. It was hot. It was miserable. It was a, a boring game against an FCS school. I yeah. wasn't not even mad about the second half attendance. George Downham, play on George Dunham, 
uh, from Twitter asks, why doesn't Lucas Niang, the largest lineman, not simply eat the other four? Where do you think those other four graduates went? <laughs> I, I think it's simply because friends don't eat friends. Also a good point. Thank you. Uh, Austin on Twitter asks, is Art Bryles in jail yet? No, he's in Italy. Uh, so jail, basically. Uh, Justin asks, which former Heisman winning Auburn quarterback <laughs> does Sean Robinson play? Sean Robinson's play most resemble? He's got that. He's got that Cam Newton smile. Here's the thing. I, Sean is a big guy. Like he's six four, two hundred something, two hundred twenty pounds. Cam Newton, or, or sorry, Sean is six two, two hundred twenty pounds. Yeah. Cam Newton is almost six five. Yeah, like two and like two hundred and forty two yeah. pounds. So yeah, their play might resemble each other, but Cam Newton is a gigantic human being. Yeah. That there's a reason that he can continually have one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL and get lit up like a Christmas tree week after week and still post, you know, all pro numbers. Wide right natty light, question of the week. Best question of the week, yes. Why has the university refused to equip your mascot with super soakers filled with blood? So it can be more biologically accurate. Honestly, I, I just I think that the idea hadn't been broached yet, and now that we know, we'll be sure to tag uh, the AD ball. JD. The ball is in ADJD's court. Yeah, let's let's see it. Donati. Athletic director, Jer, uh, athletic director Jeremiah Donati. This we is on you demand now. Red we super soakers. need super soakers filled with blood. I'm running on this platform for all eternity. This is our campaign now as Frogs of War. Wide right, Natty Light, for those of you that don't know, is the SB Nation Iowa State blog. They're some of our favorite favorite people. Favorite human beings. Ace wonderful people. asks a question on Twitter. How many offensive line starters is TCU returning from last season? And a follow-up question, where can I find such information? This is because this is a direct response to my Twitter rant about everybody in the country writing misinformation about how many starters TCU is returning. Here's the thing, y'all. Cordell Uwagwu started all 14 games for TCU last year at left guard. Lucas Niang started the final eight games at right, at right tackle. If you start more than 50% of your team's games and you play again the next year, you are not replacing a starter no. at that position. So TCU is returning two players on their offensive line. They're replacing three. But no matter where you look these days, it looks like everyone's saying, oh, well, TCU's is replacing four people along the offensive line. That's just that's a lie. You're lying. And it's on GoFrogs.com. Like, it's not hard information to find. I also wrote you an article just, about returning death. You, but, you know. It's you, you type in Lucas Niang, and then you look at GoFrogs.com, and it will say very clearly, started eight games last year for TCU. And they were the last eight games. So he was the starter at the end of the year, and he moved into being the starter again this year. So it's really just it's a lack of effort. Yeah. It's a lack of effort. I've seen articles at The Athletic that have quoted that, Sports Illustrated, ESPN. They've all gotten it wrong. Yeah. They're all wrong. You're wrong. Speaking of things that are going to get you fired up and angry, <sighs> Mark on Twitter asks, is an email fantasy football draft a good idea? One this, word answer. This guy is the commissioner of our fantasy football league that's a brilliant asking this question brilliant so yes mark it was a stupid idea it was a stupid idea mark yeah so mark, stupid so stupid michael sanchez asks should the game get out of hand in tcu's favor will starters remain in to get their reps to prepare for the buckeyes i think we'll see a similar rotation as we did against uh, southern and that those guys are going to play you know I, I think we'll see sean maybe into the third quarter but at the end of the day you got to get them healthy get them off the field and get ready for the next one too last question 
after the beating that SMU took through three quarters against North Texas, is Patterson worried about a bounce back game from SMU? I think you answered that. that he's, yeah. He's, he's playing the last eight you know, minutes. He calls it a 50-50 game every season for a reason. Because in a, in a game, a rivalry game, you're always going to get the other team's best shot. Now, I think his expectation is that SMU also gets TCU's best shot on Friday night. Sure. And if that's the case, then, yeah, TCU's going to win this game and win yeah. it easily. But if it's not the case and TCU does catch SMU's best shot, they've got some really talent, really talented kids on that offense. Sure. You know, they've got James Prochet. They've got Ben Hicks. Uh, it could get close. I don't think there's a, a way that TCU loses this game, but – you know, it's it's possible. Yeah, you know, Crazier not, things have happened. Appalachian State beat Michigan. Yeah. Appalachian State almost, almost beat Penn State, State on Saturday. So uh, I don't want to say that it's not going to happen. Uh, I don't know that Gary Patterson is necessarily worried, but he will be prepared. Sure. The guy will always be prepared for every single game that he coaches. And that's our last question. And I think that takes us to the end of our time here tonight at Dutch's Locker Room. Thank you, Dutch's Locker Room, for being a great great host for us tonight and always every time that we're here the first Wednesday of the month every month and sometimes other Wednesdays too at 7:30 in the in the evening come have a burger have a beer listen to the live broadcast of the Frogs War podcast at Dutch's locker room if you could also listeners do us a huge favor and go to iTunes and give us a rating and leave us a review. Several of you have already been doing that. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We really, truly do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it helps us get in more ears. iTunes algorithm is all about reviews and ratings. And so the better that those are and the more of those that we get, the higher up we come in uh, iTunes algorithm. So please take a few seconds to do that. Leave us a review and a rating this week. Melissa, happy birthday. Hey, thanks. For it's my been... birthday, please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Yes, please do that for Melissa's birthday. Some people raise money for charity. Some people accept gifts. I just want – give me the stars, baby. That's yes, want. we want the starsies. Want the starsies. Hey, it's Unlike... been a great one. Looking forward to Friday night. We'll both be out there covering the game. We'll have lots of live reports for you. It's so be make good. sure you tune in to Frogs of War, Twitter, Facebook, on Twitter, Instagram, on all On Facebook and obviously at frogswar.com with all of your best free TCU content the best that you could possibly access. Anywhere, and it is free. And with that, I'm Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Chibwasser. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.